joining us. Hi, Ferret. Hi, Flame. Hi, fandom. Welcome to the final episode of 2020. We know we've made a lot of jokes, play mostly, about time being weird this year, but we truly cannot believe we're about to see the back of this calendar page. This is the time of year that lots of people are talking about resolutions and plans for the next year, and we have FOMO and didn't want to be left out. So this episode is going to be about goals and planning and how Fair and I each handle them. But before we get into the details, huge thanks to Nana for our cover art, a truly lovely image to close out the year on. In this episode, first Flame talks to Holly about the help a writing group has been to her, and then we'll get into the nature of goal setting and the tools we use to plan our writing lives. After that, we'll share our personal goals for the year on the pod and off. And last but not least, we have a grammar mustelid corner on apostrophes. It's a lot to do as always, so let's get started. Castlandia, I am here today with Holly. Hello, Holly. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. So we're going to start this the way we start all of our podcast chats. Would you mind telling us your fandom origin story? Absolutely. So I started out uh, as a total anime fan when I was a kid. Um, started out uh, mostly in the Clamp land. I was a big Cardcaptor Sakura fan. And then uh, stayed in anime land through junior high, high school, beginning of college. Uh, and then I tripped and stumbled into this thing called Glee, which I'm sure we all have mixed feelings about of, of whatever form they may take. And that was when I really started ingratiating myself into fandom as anything beyond a lurker. Um, and where I made some of my first and longest lasting friendships in fandom. Since then, I've kind of bounced around through various fandoms um, and landed here in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, for good, or at least for now, uh, shortly after Endgame uh, premiered. And um, yeah, just happy to uh, be a part of this, this wonderful, vibrant community. And uh, I, I, I shipped... Stony back during when the first Avengers movie came out, but didn't really feel that drive to fix things. That's what usually uh, makes me want to write and engage in fandom at a high level. And then Endgame happened. And as we all know, everything needed fixing. So here I am. Yeah, I think a lot of us uh, agree with that impetus. We walked out of the theater and we're like, okay. Yeah, let's, let's make it better because they made it way too much worse. Yeah, they, they certainly crammed a whole lot of feelings into those three hours. So Amen to that. Um, the You talked about Glee being the first one where you were something besides a lurker. Mm-hmm. Is that, so that's the first fandom you wrote in? Like what else, what did that look like? So I had written fan fiction uh, since I was, for about 18 years I've been writing. Uh, tons of old uh, CCS fix or chilling on the hard drive um, that I will never ever look at again, but don't quite have the heart to delete. Uh, but I'd never published anything. Um, I kind of lived in my own little quiet world where I, I thought I was this great writer and but but didn't have the confidence to show anybody yet. And Glee was the first time that I, uh, I think it was actually the first time I ever commented on a fic. Um, and it was my friend Tina's um, See, now I can't even remember what fic of hers it was because she's so prolific, but commented on a fic of hers and kind of broke it down the way I read it. And she was so excited 
that she then kind of replied to me and we built a rapport and she invited me to her writing group and they kind of encouraged me to start sharing my work. And, um, that, so that kind of that one friendship pulled me into this wider world of, of actually collaborating and contributing and communicating with other fans rather than just uh, consuming content. That is so beautiful. What was the writing group like? I'd love to hear more about that. So there were five of us. I was Tina and uh, her friend Sarah um, and her Sarah's sister-in-law Gia and their friend Lizzie and they all lived in uh, the um, San Francisco area. So they would meet up in person. I have pictures on my hard drive of Tina hugging a giant pink pillow because that was what she did whenever Sarah wrote something that made her feel too much. Um, and so they kind of had this, this local piece and I was kind of there as someone that they loved and welcomed and wanted and, and who wanted to share works together. Um, but I didn't have that on, on location piece at that point in my life. And eventually uh, Gia moved to Boston and uh, Lizzie moved to, gosh, I don't even know where Lizzie is now. She's moved so many times. I think she was in New York for a while. And that was kind of what disbanded the group. And Tina went down to San Diego. So once they lacked that local piece, um, we still talk. We still communicate. Um, Sarah is one of my best friends in the world still. Um, but it, it transitioned to take a different form in the more digital world uh, than it had when they were local. But when they were local, we would, um, they'd all get on Skype and I would hop on Skype with them and we would, you know, plot out ideas and, and share feelings and, and um, ask about each other's writing and cheerlead and do all those kind of communicative, collaborative, family sort of things that you need, that I have always needed in a writing group. Fascinating. So what does that what fills that for you now that that's disbanded? So uh, what I have learned mostly is that for me, I need lots of different communities because I am kind of an attention whore sometimes. And so I need to be able to go to somebody at any hour of the day to get that. So I have two Discord chats that I'm a part of. One um, that's set up with my friend Yika, um, that's which we're just the multi-fandom word wars. And that's straight up, we just war and we bicker and we, you know, see who can write the most, the quickest. And that is a nice immediate um, feedback loop that I get from people that, you know, I love and respect and trust and that I find want to empower me to write in a way that, that works in that fandom niche. Then I have a second group with my friend Sly. Um, that's mostly her beta readers, but I've, I've, borrowed a couple of them several times um, and they're always happy to for me to bounce ideas off of them as well so that's more of my um, plotting brainstorming collaboration piece uh, and then the most impactful thing that I have joined uh, for my writing is actually a local in-person writing group kind of hearkening back to uh, Tina and Sarah and and their group um, and I'm a member of a local league of writers that uh, meets, I meet once weekly on Saturday with one of my chapters. I meet twice monthly with another one of my chapters on Wednesday nights. And we just sit and write. Um, and I have that in-person accountability where I get up and on Saturday morning, either at 
nine o'clock if we're at Watchtower or six o'clock if we're at um, Robin and we go and we write and I will sometimes write until noon. I'll write from six to noon some Sundays, Saturdays and Sundays. And that just being able to sit across from, you know, my buddies and be like, okay, like, how are you doing? What are you working on? What do you need? How can I help? And be an in-person advocate for the power of stories um, has really stepped toward filling that void for me. That's amazing. I know that there's a lot of folks that are listening that would be able to have an in-person experience. And I know there's lots of networks, especially here in the States. I know every November when it's um, National Novel Writing Month, there's often ways to kind of get in-person stuff. But we also have a lot of folks in fandom who are not in places where they could do meetups. So if they're looking for kind of how to be collaborative and writing online, what tips would you give them? So ironically, the best thing that's worked for me is to post what I've already written um, because that will tend to draw creators towards you. Um, My group with Yika, um, I joined that group when I was writing a whole bunch of um, uh, Kirk McCoy BDSM fic and I had a friend that was following me for that and she was like, well, hey, you should totally come join this, this word war group that I'm a part of and that was how I found them and I found Sly through that group. And so it kind of becomes this cascading effect of once you're sharing your work and then responding to the people that consume your work, uh, you'll tend to find pockets of people that first are interested in the same thing you are and then then become invested of you in you as a writer and as a person and want to see you succeed. And that component of knowing that there's people that are invested in you that want you to do well and that want to see you succeed can come just as easily from an online component. But the first step for me has always been to put my work out there and then respond to the people that consume that work. So a lot of it, the first step is about bravery. Absolutely. And that can be really scary for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. And I think um, I certainly have put a lot of stuff out there that hasn't been as well received as I would have liked, or I got harsher criticism than I thought I was going to get. If you've experienced that, how did you handle that? Um, so I was lucky enough to luck my way into my group as first a commenter. So that, that I guess I should have added that earlier. You can also find your way into a group by being a consumer of work and connecting with writers and seeing who they connect with. But I think, so I think from either of those two sides though, it's knowing that your work is authentically yours and that even if it's not what someone else wanted, it's what you needed to put into the world. One of the best things that my, one of my in-person writing groups uh, friends always says to me is that you can't please everybody, but you can be, you can always please somebody. So if you know who you're writing for, whether that's yourself, whether that for me is my friend, Sarah, whether that is uh, fulfilling a prompt on a prompt meme, uh, whether that is doing an exchange, whether that's doing a big bang, whatever it is that you can say, okay, I'm creating this work for this person or for this to fill this need. That's been the best way I have found to um, insulate myself from criticism and from um, worry and fear and concern in that way. Because if I know that I, you know, made Sarah happy by writing this piece, or, or if I know that I made my artist happy by creating this piece for a reverse Big Bang, that has always had to be enough for me. I think that's a really great piece of advice to understand 
why you're crafting this particular piece. And I would imagine this works for artists as well. I make mood boards. I don't draw. I can draw. I can't even draw stick figures. <laughs> Our wonderful mod, Bill Longbow, is famous for her stick figures. I can't even do that. But <clears throat> I was once told somebody that, I was once told by a, a really trusted writing person that you cannot please everyone because you are not tacos. And <laughs> Oh, I like that. I'm going to have to tell Brian that one. That was, you know, fill in whatever food brings you joy. So right. you are not chocolate. You are not avocados. You know, you are not. You are not pho. Yeah, you are not pretzels, you know, pick a thing. But that's been a very helpful piece of advice to me. And so it sounds like that's been helpful to you as well, kind of in just another set of words. Yeah, and I think too, it's it's finding whatever set of words works for you because it it's it's different contexts for different people and hearing it from lots of different people can help too, rather than just, you know, just hearing it from me or just hearing it from from you, like getting to be a part of a group in whatever form that takes so that they can reinforce that, that reality as well. Well, you know, since we're talking so much about creating works for things, I would love to know what you're reading right now. All right. So my, I mean, no reckless is complete without where our monster, where our restless monsters sleep. Like, holy cow, that thick has totally changed the way I write Morgan in like anything I ever write ever. Um, so that is super high on, on my list of things that I absolutely love. I've currently been reading a fic called um, Steve Rogers is a Child. I was right in the middle of it before I had to leave for writing groups this morning. And like, I'm really curious about where this one goes. So it's obviously it's a de-aged fic, but Steve still thinks he's in the Great Depression. So that's been, that's been a hell of an adventure. Um, so I'm curious to see where that goes. And then uh, Trust Fall. I started Trustfall when I was first looking for, and it's prequel, whose name I should know, but is currently escaping me. Um, but Trustfall and its prequel were some of the first pieces I read after Endgame. And Trustfall is essentially a rewriting of uh, post-Infinity War potential outcomes. Um, and it's still a work in progress. So I made it through the first two or three chapters and I was like, okay, this is giving me too many feelings, like, I need to wait until it's done, because I'm a notorious, like, jinx for works in progress, where, like, if I start reading them, they don't finish, so I, like, got two or three chapters in, and then I was, like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let this writer finish, and then I'll go and, like, binge read the whole thing and comment on every chapter then, so those, those are my top three that I would have to say are, are in my life right now. Amazing. I have not read the second two, but I am also a pretty big stan of Mizzy's Where the Restless Monsters Sleep, uh, which is often referred to as the Worms fic, and is one of the, for my money, one of the best pieces written in our fandom in a long time. So I, oh, would, I would have to second that. Absolutely. It is, it is an incredible, incredible work of art. I'm, I'm praying that my fic of that length can even come close. Well, comparison is the thief of joy. So let's just say we're all really excited to read yours too. Holly, is there anything else that you'd like to say before we wrap up? I think that's covered everything I wanted to share today. Amazing. Well, links will be in the show notes to everything that Holly and I mentioned today. And I know I would love to hear if any of you are part of writing groups, either in person or online, that's perhaps more formal than a sprint channel in Discord, since we're, we all can kind of coordinate in that. But if you've got a dedicated group, we here at Potscast would love to hear about it. 
I've always been somebody who is very uncomfortable with the idea of New Year's resolutions. Some of it is because a lot of them are about weight loss and I have a really weird relationship with that concept as a goal. But the older I got and the more I thought about how people actually experience motivation, the more I realized that New Year's resolutions are kind of inherently shaming. They're saying that who you were in the past year wasn't good enough. And so you need to change something fairly dramatically in the new year. And that's not often how humans are A, motivated or B, work. And so it kind of sets you up for failure in a way, because first of all, we all have the jokes about, well, right, all your New Year's resolutions will be over by January 15th. So that already feels weird. But then we don't really have any concrete ways of understanding how to make healthy goals or whatever. And I already tipped my hat. So instead of resolutions, I like to think about intentions or goals. And goals are tricky things because you need them to be big enough that you're motivated to accomplish them, but small enough that you can actually accomplish them. So the way I talk about it is that my intentions are kind of the bigger more ephemeral things. If I was running a business, they are my vision statement or my mission statement, things like that. My intentions are much more, are much larger. And they're often about the small or sometimes dramatic ways, but usually the very kind of small ways I want to reorient my life around something. And I know this sounds cheesy and like it doesn't can fandom, but I'm getting there, I promise. So in order to operationalize my intentions, I come up with goals to help me figure out what that is. And there's a very, very, very popular business leadership strategic planning model called SMART goals. And it's an acronym and SMART stands for um, a, five things that you should make all of your goals. Now there's a couple different words for each of the letters, but this is the vibe. And when I teach SMART goals, these are the ones I use. So all of your goals should be strategic. They should help you reach the intention or the overall thing, like if your goal for the year is to read a ship you've never read before, if that's your intention for the year, then your goal shouldn't be to read more of this ship that you already read all the time, if that makes sense. So it needs to kind of be moving you in that way. Most, a lot of goals, it's really helpful if they're measurable, if you have a way to do it. So when we talk about, you know, we're about to talk about writing and even some reading goals. And there's some really good kind of numerical metrics that can go along with this, but measurable is in a, is in a numerous amount of ways that you can do that. Then another one, and this is the most important, I think for fandom in particular is attainable. If you're somebody who has never written a fic before and you have a really um, big goal of getting a thousand kudos on your first fic, a couple quick things. Making something attainable means that you have to be completely within control of the outcome of that goal. You actually, by the way, have no control over who kudos your fix or how many kudos you get. So you can decide a word count and maybe you decide, oh, I'm going to write 100,000 words this year. Well, if you've never written five before, I'd probably say maybe shoot for lower. You could totally blow us out of the water and do 100,000. Or it could be something that turns out to be really kind of meh. So why don't we set something a little bit that seems more immediately attainable? Then there's, then there's a, they should always be relevant. Again, this kind of goes to strategic. Um, and then they should always be timely and make sure that you're not 
having a goal about reaching something that is going to happen in five years when really the, the thing you should have a goal for is the immediate, the first step in a way. If you're building building blocks, you have to have a foundation before you kind of go from there. So this, how this works for me, I'll get into in a little bit in our next section when we talk more about our goals. But I use this rubric a lot in my professional life and also in my fandom life. I am fairly disciplined in my fandom life and I'm fairly disciplined kind of in the rest of my life of how I manage my goals. Even though I feel like a cyclone of chaos, I'm told by many other people <laughs> that I'm pretty disciplined. So I think it's a sliding scale in that way. So SMART goals may or may not work for you, but the thing that I would ask you to consider the most is this idea um, of intentions and resolutions. And are you deciding on something that you're essentially setting yourself up to not achieve? And why are you doing that? What, why are you setting the goal that you are setting? Are you setting it because you, you know, other people are setting the same thing and you feel like you have to, you can't really know how to accomplish what you want to accomplish until you know what you want to accomplish. It sounds so basic, but so many of us just rush into the planning of things without taking a step back and thinking about why we're doing the thing in the first place. So um, I, I have a slightly different feeling about resolutions or about uh, the sort of starting things in the new year because I'm one of those people that I like, I'm a completionist. I like things to feel finished. I like bookends. And the end of the year is also generally my most chaotic time of year. And if there's anything I've been working on or trying to maintain, it's always going to fall apart in December. So for me, I like that January is a new agenda planner. It's a blank, clean calendar. It's a fresh spreadsheet. And you can start something knowing that you may not go the whole year, but if I start something in May, I definitely can't have done it every day all year. <laughs> so I like to be able to start things on January 1st with the intention of doing it however frequently I've asked myself to do it. And even if that's not maintained, it doesn't feel like I've lost before I've begun. So that's sort of my relationship with the idea of uh, a goal setting being um, a New Year's thing to do. Uh, and generally, I have found that that refresh of the new year of saying, okay, you know what, whatever happened last year, we're going to forget it because we're starting over. And here's our intentions for this year. And this is the foot that we're starting off on. For me, that's a, that's a positive thing that I have a, a positive relationship with. Um, but I also wanted to add another goal building concept and um, sort of two things go hand in hand for this. Uh, the idea of Lego goals or building block goals. So if you have, and this sort of expands on the idea of taking a larger intention and breaking it into smaller goals. You can also take a larger goal and break that into smaller goals that ramp up as time goes on. So you may have a goal of writing, say if we're talking about writing, because here we are in Creator Corner, let's say you have, um, you'd like to write 100,000 words for the whole year, but currently your daily output isn't enough that if that was your average for the whole year, you'd be able to do it. But if you start January with an amount that is attainable for you now, 
and February, you challenge yourself a little bit more and March, you challenge yourself a little bit more than that, you can build your way up to your ultimate goal without setting yourself an unattainable goal right from the start. The other way that Lego block goals can work is to use small pieces of goals to build a larger type of goal that encompasses many smaller things. So for a real life example, if you wanted to say, I wanna clean my whole house every week, um, your January goal might be that every Monday you um, scrub the toilet. <laughs> and you do that for a little while until it becomes a habit, it feels comfortable, it's something that you can do regularly, it doesn't feel like a challenge anymore. And then you say, okay, Mondays I'm gonna scrub the toilet and Tuesdays I'm going to clean the kitchen counters. And that's how you can kind of build yourself up over time to a place where you're accomplishing a suite of goals that create that larger intention of having a regularly cleaned house, for example. And you can apply that to lots of other things. In addition to the idea of these building block goals that fit together to form your ultimate goals, there's also, I like to think a lot about what the impediments are between me and the goals that I want to achieve and ask myself if those impediments can be removed or altered, if I can restructure my life in some way to make them possible. So some concrete examples of that, I hope this doesn't gross you out, but this is one of my favorite personal ones. Um, I work outside for a living. I go through a lot of socks in a day. I change my socks a lot because I sweat. And if it's cold outside, um, you know, your socks get icky or they get cold or it's just, you know, you need new socks. And I used to always come in the house into my mudroom and I'd want to take my socks off right there because my feet were so uncomfortable. And I would put them by the shoe rack being like, I'm going to come back and get them, but I never did. And so I'd always end up with this little pile of socks and it drove me crazy. And I'm sorry if you're picturing my house now full of socks, but that was kind of the reality. So Instead of trying to make myself become a person who takes her socks and walks all the way down to the laundry and puts them right in the laundry, I said, what's the real problem here? It's not that I take my socks off in the mudroom. It's that I then just throw them in the shoe rack and we end up with all socks mixed in with shoes and it's gross. So I went to the dollar store and I bought myself a little basket and I put it next to the shoe rack. And now I peel my socks off, I put them in the basket. And then when I do laundry, I swoop by the basket and I dump all the dirty socks in the laundry. So you don't necessarily have to change who you are and your resolutions don't have to be accomplished the same way that other people's resolutions are accomplished. Your goals don't have to follow the same path as other people's goals. Some of goal setting is saying, who am I? What is my life like already? Can I take some of the things that I want to do or some of the person I want to be and realign things or change the layout of my house or take my laptop to a different part of the house when I'm writing or whatever it takes to make those things feel more accomplishable for you. And I think this particular year has been a really interesting, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, a really interesting experiment for a lot of us. And let me say everything Ferret said, in some ways I totally agree with and totally works. And I'm sure she resonated with some of the things that I'm saying. So if you think that what we just said are really opposite things, just remember that everyone's human experience, especially with things like goals are really on a spectrum. And the most important thing that we just said to drill down by the way, is that you need to do what works for you. 
and you need to be able to do what works for you for a whole host of reasons, including <laughs> that unless your motivation is internal, often it's going to be very difficult to get anything accomplished. So you kind of have to do it within you. But this year has been really, um, I mean, man, how many times have we all had to change our goals throughout oh, the year? Because crazy. we didn't have control over a lot of our circumstances. And I know for me, one of the lessons this year was that I set out to write more words in 2020 than I had in 2019. Because I figured in 2019, I started in May. And I wrote 557,000 words between May and the end of the year. And so I was like, oh, well, I have five more months in 2020. Um, it's, I'm like, you know, a lot of things about my life were going to look really different. I was going to be traveling to in different rhythms. And I thought I was gonna be able to write a lot more. And then I don't know if you heard, but I started, I started a podcast with this no. cool Canadian girl. <laughs> and then uh, we had this, we had a minor global hiccup. Just a little one. Um, a minor global hiccup. And then I got selected to be part of the MTH team. None of those things existed in 2019. Yep. <laughs> and so I needed to completely rewrite my word count goals. And this might seem really bizarre and, and really kind of petty, which is entirely possible, but I was getting legitimate and regular anxiety over not meeting my daily minimum. Yeah. And I, I said this to, to Ferret and I was just like, I'm, I should just change my goal. Should not, like, this is unnecessary anxiety for a thing I can control. And so I literally just changed the number on a spreadsheet and my anxiety went away. I think it's, it can be really challenging, especially when these are goals that have to do with fun. Like these yeah. are goals that are about feeling improvement within our hobby or engaging with fandom community or something like that. These are all voluntary endeavors. Nobody's life is dependent on it. The well-being of you and your family is not dependent on it, except obviously there's a mental health factor with enjoying your hobbies. But if the goals that you have set are having a negative impact on you or they're negatively affecting your mental health, and these are goals that are supposed to be for something that is fun for you. Because as we say repeatedly on this podcast, fandom is about finding joy. It's about having fun. You are here to have a good time. And if you are not having a good time, you absolutely do not need to maintain the goals that felt attainable in January all the way through the year, you know, and pandemic hits in April and you need to adjust that shit. And that is totally valid. <laughs> Yeah. And be, even outside of fandom, like I, like we both own businesses. I think we adjust our goals every quarter, if not every week, if not every day, like things just happen and you can't control them. And it's one of the reasons that when, when fair was talking about the, the basket of sock thing, I have a, a couple examples of that in my own life of being, of being very realistic about my own limitations. And for me, they are, a little bit more, the couple examples that always come to the top of my head are a little bit more about recognizing that I can't change other people. Hmm. And I can't, I can't make them see my worldview my way, or I can't. So there's been a couple of times where I've had goals of, you know, reconciliation with people or goals of, of, of really joining somebody on a project and I can't control the other human being. And so I had to be really emotionally flexible 
recognizing that something is toxic in your life is sometimes the slowest revelation of your existence. Um, and sometimes this is one of the reasons that I'm a huge believer in community and vulnerability within it, because I didn't really even recognize why I was so stressed about the word count until I was complaining to uh, multiple people in fandom that I wasn't writing enough. And somebody, and I, it might've been you, Farron, I can't remember. It may have been Heather, I don't remember. But somebody just said, what is enough? Yep. And I was like, oh shit. I had gotten so into my hamster wheel of goal of, of I have to achieve, I have to achieve, I have to achieve. That I needed somebody to come along and be like, pause, this isn't right. And so we, we needed a recalibration and that's what a lot of it is. But I think it's incredibly difficult. Now, obviously, I use the word toxic for my word count. Like it wasn't really toxic, but there are things that we all do in our lives, relationships, decisions. Uh, we ta I've talked to a lot of people this year that realized that trying to do a college during a pandemic was going to be toxic. And so they took a year off. Um, you know, there's a lot of this kind of stuff. You Part of goal setting is trying to figure out and be attuned with yourself enough that when the goal is becoming detrimental to you. And we also don't have to completely abandon things just because we've realized that either the goal itself or the way we were attempting to achieve the goal is causing a problem. If, if coming back to the word count again, the spreadsheet that Flame and I both use lets you put in a goal amount for each month, then it racks up to a goal amount for the year. And you can just go in and change it. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be ch a challenging amount. It can be the amount that you know you're already hitting. In fact, when I very first started tracking my word counts, I figured out what my average was um, just based on what I had done in a period of time. And I set my goal to exactly my average. So my first goal was maintenance. And the, the positivity and the a feeling of accomplishment and the um, personal achievement that you get from meeting a goal makes you more likely to continue pursuing goals. So as we're talking about choosing goals, specifically choosing numbers, choosing dates, choosing lengths of time, it can often be more beneficial to you to, and this is coming back to that A in the SMART, um, the attainable idea, it's, it can be more beneficial to you to choose a lower number that you know you can reach. So you stop because it's so easy to end up in a pattern of avoidance, even if it's not causing you anxiety. If you're avoiding like, oh, I'm not, I don't even open the spreadsheet. I don't even open my docs because I know I'm only going to write 300 words and my goal is 700. It's like, okay, make your goal 300 words. Meet your goal for a period of time. Enjoy being somebody who's meeting their goals. And then maybe you set it to 350. It doesn't have to be a huge leap. It has to be what you can achieve. And that if you make that gap too wide, you're setting yourself up for that negative impact of the goals on your life, no matter what. It is just going to become a perpetual source of anxiety. And then what was the point of doing it in the first place? Yeah. And honestly, be gentle with yourselves. I type this a lot in Discord, but I don't think I've hammered it home on this podcast a whole lot. So let me be, you know, anti-flame for half a minute. Everything's really hard. And even when things aren't a massive pandemic and the world has no idea what it looks like the next day, a lot of our lives are hard. And being harder on yourself than necessary doesn't do anything. 
but make your life harder. I promise you, even though it may not feel like it, you're doing the best you can at least a chunk of the time. And that's really all we can ask. So just like be gentle with yourself. You are a human being having a human experience and that's awkward and disappointing and overwhelming. And there are days that adulting is the literal worst thing any of us can be forced to do. <laughs> and it just is what it is. And so just, just my God, just be gentle with yourself. I, I swear it'll change your life. So now that we've talked a bit about sort of the concept of goals and how to approach goal setting, and obviously we're not dropping numbers, we're not going to tell you what your goal should be, because I hope that what you've gathered so far is that that's really personal to you. But um, also throwing back to what Holly was just talking about in the awesome interview about writing groups is sometimes your goals can be um, encouraged or uh, you can help define your goals by having friends who are working towards similar goals. Your numbers don't have to be the same. Ashley and I have both been using that word count spreadsheet for a long, long time. And I don't think we've ever had the same number on the sheet, but from you know only a few months, I think, into our relationship, we were both using it and and we're talking about it and encouraging each other to hit our mins, even if they were different mins and, and working on collabs together to, to try and help each other hit mins and stuff like that. So uh, you can use the community, you can use your friends, you can use people in your groups who are also setting goals to uh, help you choose your goals, help you maintain your goals and support you when your goals are bringing you back down or be that person who says, girl, you need to lower that number. <laughs> yeah. Just, just pause. Yeah. But moving on from talking about the goals in a theoretical sense, um, we just wanted to run down a couple of tools and we will link everything in the, uh, in the show notes as well. Um, but we just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the specific tools that we and people we know use to track goals or keep on top of their goals or record their goals. A lot of these are gonna be about writing because obviously that's our primary identity within this hobby. But I'm also a massive reader of actual books <laughs> and fanfic simultaneously. And so one of my goals every year, and I'll talk about this a little bit more, is always to be very intentional about some of the traditionally published works that I read and making sure I'm being as diverse as I can be. And one of the best ways I've discovered to keep track of that is, is not Goodreads. I don't keep track of anything Goodreads except if I've read something. But Book Riot, which is one of my favorite reading websites, puts out a downloadable Google Sheet every year that helps you track um, a lot of different categories of things and you can, you can customize it however works for you. So I've linked that in the show notes. What I really appreciate about it is that it lets me look at the end of every month and say, huh, I have not been reading a whole lot of people of color and I'd like to do that. Or, oh, I really need to read more translations because that was one of my goals. And so it helps with those Lego kind of bits. It's, it's part of making sure that my SMART goals are on track. Um, and it's the only really reading resource I know to keep track of things consistently that has worked for me or anyone I know. So we're gonna shift now to talk about more writing stuff, but I did wanna let you know for anybody who's listening that there, are, there is this reading tracker web uh, resource as well, and you can totally use it to track fic. It would not be difficult at all. Um, so you hear me talk about the writing tracking spreadsheet a lot, uh, and we are finally going to hook you up with that. Um, it is made by a Tumblr blogger called Trice Laura, 
and they've been doing it for a couple of years. It's, uh, it's a fairly complicated looking spreadsheet. There's lots of tabs, there's lots of cells, um, it's colorful. And I will be honest, it takes a little bit to get it set, it up, set up the first time. There are instructions. I highly recommend reading the instructions and following them carefully, unless you are very experienced with how spreadsheets work. If you're not sure what you're doing, you could potentially break a formula and it's not gonna be working right for you. So I really recommend that you put the effort in to get it all started at the beginning of the year the way that you want it to be. And then after that, it's simply a matter of updating the total word count of each story or piece that you're tracking. So you end up with a column for each story. And all you need to do is say, hey, Google Docs or hey, Word, what's my total word count right now? You pop that word count in for that day and it will say, hey, you've added 324 words to this story today. And it keeps track of your averages. It keeps track of your months. Um, there's little graphs. There's charts. If you like... If you like basically anything a spreadsheet can do, then you're going to like this spreadsheet. That's so um, funny. I've never separated it out by story. I just do my total, my running total all the time. Well, that's, then I'm you didn't follow the instructions. <laughs> I did not follow the instructions. Absolutely not. So I will need to do that this year because I want to, I want to, I did not that nifty trick of it. Yeah, it's, it's. Don't worry. If you lined it up that way, the nice thing is that you don't have to do any math. You just tell it what the current, your current total for that piece is. And you don't have to add yeah. it to your current total for any other piece. Um, and then as when you finish a piece, you just hide that column. And so you only have your active columns going at any time, which for me is like 42 columns, but we don't need to talk about that. That's a separate thing we'll talk about in the next section about 2021 goals. Yeah, yeah. but it also yeah. means that at the end of the year, you can open up all the columns and see how many pieces you worked on that year, which is pretty fun too. Oh yeah, um, no, to be more intentional in 21 to format it properly. Yeah, and uh, for everybody listening, as I said, I've been using this spreadsheet for a long time and I'm also fairly adept with spreadsheets. So if you end up using this spreadsheet, please don't hesitate to ask me if you get stuck. I don't know how available Trislora is and they're not in our fandom. Um, not that that would be a reason not to talk to you, but um, they share this pretty widely and I don't know how much they get poked about it or how many, how, how available they are to answer questions. I've, I've never asked, um, but I am comfortable with the spreadsheet. And if you need help setting it up for the first time, I am more than happy to do that with you. Once you're going, it's very easy, but I, I will say it's a bit of a learning hump at the beginning, getting it started. And I don't want anyone to be turned away who really wants to use it just because they look at the instructions and go, oh, this is too complicated for me. First of all, it's not too complicated for you. You can do it. And second of all, I will help you. I will say. Eric's love language is spreadsheets. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's there true. is almost nothing she loves more on this planet besides her animals than spreadsheets. So please let her help you. Yeah. Do not hesitate. She really does want to. It, will, it won't be a burden at all. No. Um, I will say that at the time of recording this, the 2021 version of the spreadsheet has not been shared by Trislora. They are still active. So I'm expecting them to share it uh, near the end of the year. It's usually right around it in the last like 10 to 15 days of December, we get it. Um, but I also assume that they're quite busy um, or things may have been affected by the pandemic. So um, we will see when that comes out. It may come out in early January. So you may want to keep track of those first couple of days for yourself if the spreadsheet isn't available yet. If they choose not to share it this year, I will make a 2021 version, hopefully with their blessing. 
and share that. However, if I don't have their blessing, I'm going to have to share it privately with people. Um, it's a small change to make it 2021, but you can also, if you're, if you know what you're doing, grab the 2020 version and just make it 2021. Uh, but yeah, that is my favorite piece of writing toolage. And within that, one of the ways to accomplish min, minimum word count or min, as we've often said it on this, is sprinting, which is a really common thing in a lot of Discord servers. Are, the pod server does not have a sprinting channel, but the other one, the other one that we mod together with uh, Moody Bear, which is the STB Discord, has a sprinting channel. Sprinting is, is really simple. You can do it for anything. I often, I sprint multiple times a day for multiple projects because one of the principles behind it is actually something called the Pomodoro method, which is the idea that concentrating on something for 20 minutes is a really good way to give your brain a, a chunk of time to focus on something that doesn't feel exclusionary to the rest of your to-do list. So if you say, I'm going to do something for three hours, that, that feels really overwhelming. You may not accomplish your entire list in that 20 minutes. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to look at your entire list and pick one, two, three things you can accomplish within those 20 minutes and focus on that and work until the timer ends. And that's that. That's the Pomodoro method. And it is ex entirely how I exist in my professional life. Sprinting is the same. You are going to write that fic. You're not going to check Discord. You're not going to, you know fuck around on Tumblr. You're not going to do anything else. You are going to either draw the work that you're drawing. You are going to work on the reckless that you're working on. You are going to work on the fan vid. You're going to write for 20 minutes until the bot at you or until your personal timer goes off. I sprint a lot, not often with people. Uh, I know lots of people find a ton of encouragement in doing that. It can be hit or miss for me. There's a couple people I like to sprint with but the general sprinting in a channel doesn't always just, I don't have any idea why it doesn't always work for me. So, but the principle behind the timing of sprinting is very helpful to a, a large part of people. So without any of these other tools that you've got, you have sprinting, as long as you have a timer on your phone, you've got sprinting. So uh, feel free to avail yourself of that. Also, if you Google um, timer 20 minutes or something like that, Google will just start a timer for you. So if you need, if you want to have like another tab open, you don't even have to like find a timer website, just ask Google, set a timer for 20 minutes and it will, it'll give you 20 minutes. Yeah. I mean, the answer to all of our stuff is going to be ask Google, but I mean, you can have <laughs> Alexa set a timer. You can have Siri set a timer. You can have your annoying roommate set a timer. There's a lot of ways to set a timer. There's also um, sort of in relation to the Pomodoro method, um, which is generally, I think it's like 20 minutes and a five minute break and 20 minutes and a five minute break is like the idea. And if yeah. you can cycle through different projects for those 20 minutes, then you're going to get stuff done. And then after um, every two hours, you take a 20 minute break. Yeah. There's a, there's yeah. a pattern to it. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of different patterns. I used to do when I was in college, I used to do what I called doing twenties, which is basically the same concept, but I would do 20 on and 20 off. So especially if I had like a binge thing to do, like someone was coming to visit and I had to clean the whole house or I had an essay due the next day in order to get it done without feeling like I was going to keel over. Um, I would do 20s. So I do 20 on working on it hardcore and then a full 20 minute break to do whatever I wanted and then 20 minutes working on it and just do it till it was done or until I hit some sort of time deadline. 
Yeah, and, and I don't. Yeah, that's so similar. I don't pay attention to the five minute thing between it just because my life doesn't allow for that. Um, so I don't do like perpetual 20 minute cycles or anything throughout the day. But when I'm going to set that timer, like that's a really important way to knock through my list. Yeah. And 20 minutes specifically, it's not a random amount of time. No, it's it's, a, really it's enough time to get your brain engaged, but it's not so much time that, you know, the humans actually can't stay 100% focused for very long. And if you push it much longer, even if you feel inclined to, if you push it for longer than 20 minutes without at least having that moment of it's over, oh, okay, good job. You can always go again, but 20 minutes is a great place to hit that peak of your brain where it's just in absolute perfect flow and without hitting a point where you're actually running into a wall and your brain is saying, I need to breathe for a minute. So there's a reason why most systems do sprints in 20 minutes. And uh, yeah, you should listen to that. <laughs> there are a couple of other tools that, um, that I don't necessarily use a lot, but I know people, other people do use. One I wanted to give a shout out to is Google Tasks. I know a couple of people who use this method, including uh, Copper Badge, who you guys might follow on Tumblr. Um, you can actually open a Word document in Google Docs. And on the side, if you hit the little tasks button, it'll open a side view where you can write out tasks. So you can write out goals for that piece. You could write out deadlines for it. It could be your to-do list. You can use it to outline as well, but there's also built-in outlining functions. But the tasks let you put in goals and check them off. So let's say you're writing a for an event like a big bang and you have a set period of time to accomplish a minimum word count. You could use the tasks to say, by this date, I want to be at this word count. And then when you get there, you can check that part off. So that's less of like an everyday thing necessarily, but maybe a project specific thing. And uh, for some people having that to-do list attached right to the project they're working on is gonna be their sock basket. That's the thing that's gonna make it so that they're not fighting against their own system, having to open a separate to-do list or have a separate spreadsheet somewhere. If you have it right there stuck right on your project, that might do it for you. Um, less for goal planning, but you can still kind of do this using Scrivener. Um, it allows you to take notes in a similar way. So if you use Scrivener for planning your fix, you may want to start thinking about how you can incorporate some of that for goals as well. Um, Trello is another tool that lets you sort of do post-it notes. Um, so if you're, if you think that way on boards, then you can set up your goals on Trello as well. You can apply dates to those and have everything in one place. Um, yeah, that's, I know Marie really uses that, who does our events yeah. class. Like she really likes Trello. It's like an online cork board, I always say. Yeah, that's exactly what the kind of moving things around. This is the same. Like a lot of people have private Discord servers and yep. they'll set up entire servers that are to do lists. And that's not like an automated or active thing unless you've got bots. Um, but Trello isn't either. So they're, they're kind of all in the same, it just depends on how you process information category. Yeah, and this comes back to that question of don't get in your own way. In, in, in addition to setting goals that suit you, setting smart goals, you also want to manage your goals in a way that doesn't get in your way, doesn't make it harder to accomplish them. So if you're not a pen and paper person, then making a bullet journal, while fun, might not actually help you accomplish your goals. If you yeah, and are maybe you're a, a hybrid person. I need technology and handwriting. 
Yeah, I use both as well. And I'm also someone who uses lots of different devices, even within the same hour I'm moving from device to device. So I need to make sure anything I'm using to do project management or goal management is accessible on every device that I use. So that's a key thing for me. It may not be a key thing for you. Maybe for you, it's the pad of paper on your desk. It's buying a fresh agenda planner each year. So don't get in your own way. And that's why we're talking about a bunch of different kinds of tools, because Instead of using them all, you should check them all out and then say, okay, this one's my sock basket. And also remember different things work at different times of your life too. Um, so if something isn't working anymore, it's not that something is wrong with you. It's that the world has shifted. Your brain has shifted. Tasks have shifted. Try something else. There's, yep. not, there's not a way to organize your life. There is the way that works for you. Um, and evolve, you're allowed to. There are several project management softwares, many of which are free. I use Todoist, which lets you make to-do lists and divide them up by projects. I have like three jobs and like 85 personal projects on all the time. So I divide my to-do list up amongst all my different projects. And I actually favorite the projects that I need to work on that day. So instead of flipping through all of my to-do lists all the time, I'm looking at the ones that are most critical to my immediate moment and that works for my brain and it's an app that works on all my devices. So I've been using Todoist for like for a while and I really like it. Um, you can also use software like Toggle, which also lets you keep track of how much time you spend on each thing. So if you're an artist and you want to set goals that have to do with how long you're drawing for, uh, Toggle might suit you very well. You can make a list of projects, you can record how much time you're spending on each project. And much like the word count tracker, keep track of your total time arting uh, in that way. And this is a really good place to bring up a, a principle that I live my life by, which is that brains are for having ideas, not for keeping them. <laughs> Especially mine. <laughs> Especially ferrets. I wasn't going to say it, but. <laughs> oh, I felt, uh, I felt you feeling it. There is no shame in not being able to remember things because your brain is actually not built that way. All this Sherlock mind palace bullshit aside, the biggest power of your brain is creating and processing information, not holding it. And we live in an era in which you can unload that information into any number of things. So get it out of there. So you got more space to do what your brain does best. Uh, I am a giant fan of bullet journals. It has worked for me, but none of my bullet journals look like most other people's. I don't do colored pencils. I don't have stickers. I don't understand the point of stickers. They just take up space where I could be writing things. <laughs> so it all works differently for you. Um, I used to do this and it didn't work for me at all. And I had to scrap it. I used it for about six months and it just frustrated me. And so I deleted the app and tried something else. Um, I love Trello, which Ferret can't stand. So just, just, you know, keep this all in mind. Um, there are, there are some other, I mean, if you just do a Google search, um, project management software or free project management software um, is a great way to start exploring what else is out there because a lot of those are going to be the kind of thing that you need to do to keep track of pretty much anything in your life. Even if you don't think of fandom or events you run or even cleaning your house like a project, the tools that are built for project management make goal setting easy, make to-do lists easy, make dates and scheduling easy. So for a lot of people, something that's marketed as project management is going to hit you where you need it. Yeah, just make sure to include the word free because some of those softwares are hefty. Yes, you do not want to buy the ones that are marketed at businesses for them Fortune to buy. For their, yeah, <laughs> a lot of the ones that are not 
completely free for everybody are free for anybody who's using it for personal use or only one user via instead of uh, versus shared amongst the whole business. So a lot of them, they're free. They have a free version that's one user and that can be you. Uh, so poke around, do some research. There's a lot of cool stuff out there. There really is. There's also, um, if you've ever done NaNoWriMo, which is National Nov Novel Writing Month, uh, it runs in November and they do have a website. If you sign up for NaNo, you get to use the website. Um, and it has a word count tracker built into it that you can use for NaNo, but you can also use other times of year. If you've got a particular project that you wanna to work towards, the NaNoWriMo system is a good way to do that, especially if you maybe wanna participate in NaNo or Camp NaNo, which runs in the summer and, um, and sort of start there and then continue using the system after that. It's a website worth checking out as well. And last but not least, AO3 has a statistics page. <laughs> uh, not everybody actually knows this. Um, even if you've been posting on AO3, you might not have noticed there's a button on the side that takes you to your stats page. It tells you how many user subs you have, how many total kudos, how many total hits, how many total words, which is fun. But you can also click on a specific year and it will give you your stats for that year, except user subs, which it does not tell you how many you got for each year. No matter what year you click on, user subs is always your sum total of user subs. So I don't know why it does that. I guess maybe I should make a bug report. Um, I don't know if it's intended to work that way, but it does. Everything else, it tells you for that year. I should clarify, the way that it defines a year is the pieces that were posted in that year. So if you get kudos on old fix that were posted in 2016, if you get a kudos in 2020, it counts towards 2016 because all it does is add up the total of all of the pieces that were completed or were last updated in that year. So if you're someone who cares about certain types of specificity that may not suit you, um, but it can tell you how many words you posted in a given year. And I prefer to count how many words I wrote in a given year, but if you like just going with posted, then AO3 keeps it for you right there. So we've talked now about the tips and tricks and the theories and we nerded out a little bit and all of that, but now let's get down to brass tacks. What are we going to do for 2021? This is a little bit like a public accountability session. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. I'm just realizing that like, if we do this again it, at the end of 21, people are going to laugh at this episode. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think it's important. I'm going to state what my intentions are for 21. There's no judgment if I don't reach them, because for all I know, I'm going to get attacked by like a panda in April, the way my life is going right now. And all the things to get attacked by, like if you got to pick, it'd be kind of cool to get attacked by a panda just because it'd be like, what are you doing here? Exactly. Especially if it was our, if it was Pot's Panda, who seems to be very, uh, very fluffy and lovely. Yeah, that would be a surprise. That would be a surprise. Maybe she has an edge we're not aware of yet. It's entirely true. I mean, we have a pair that has a stabby knife. So who knows what we have a panda with? I'm fully expecting pair to stab me in 2021, but that's that's an annual experience for me. About so. say, that's just like an annual expectation. <laughs> yeah. Um, we digress. <laughs> As is our want. <laughs> As is our want. So we're going to talk a little bit here. We'll, uh, say it up front, but we're gonna, I'm sure we're going to say it a couple more times. We'd love to know your intentions and your goals and your resolutions, whatever word resonates with you. 
We'd love to know what you've got. Definitely come to the podcast server and throw it in the, the general channel uh, that that'll be tagged in the announcement for this podcast. Uh, find us on Tumblr, find us on Twitter, send us an email. We'd love to know it. If you would also like some sort of public accountability, we'll read them in the next episode. <laughs> So, or if you set goals last year and you want to talk about how 2020 was for your goals, if you managed to reach any of them, exceed some of them, if some of them were hard and you had to readjust them, then we want to hear about that too. Absolutely. The entire goal situation is really communal in so many ways. So please talk to us about it. So a uh, good Lord, you know what one of my intentions is, is to use the word so less on this podcast. I need to come up <laughs> with a different transition Jesus Christ on a cracker flame, you are embarrassing. <laughs> Can you tell us what your things are for 21? Kick us off. Okay, well, I actually, I made a list of fandom resolutions in 2018 for 2019. And then in 2019, I had the same list. And I pretty much have the same list this year. So... I'll go over those five things because I think they kind of always apply. Sadly, four applies. You'll see why that's depressing when I get to it. But (laughs) one, it might surprise you. It's actually write less. And I think that this applies less in 2020 because I think I've finally hit a point where I'm sort of comfortable with how much I'm producing. But in 2018, I was kind of, I was riding high. I was at a peak. I was doing, I did like, I don't know, 24 events that year. I modded half of them. I wrote a lot. It was a perfect, I was slightly manic. It was like a perfect interaction between where my work life was and my personal life and how my, and the kind of free time I had. And I just went balls to the wall. And I also was in a race with my friend to see who could hit a million words in the year faster. And I hit the end of that year a little bit burned out. And I, my goal had been 63k a month or something like that. And I needed to scale it back. Because I'm one of those people, like Flame was saying earlier on this episode that if I'm not hitting my goals, it stresses me out. And these are supposed to be fun. And this is fandom, it's supposed to be fun. So one of my goals has always been to write less. I think last year I actually did about what is good for me. I think it was about 500K. I haven't actually checked, Um, but I think I'm going to finish out at about 500K. And that's a good spot for me for the year. It doesn't push me too hard, but it keeps me engaged with the challenge of it. It's about 1100 words a day. And it, for me, part of that, part of saying write less is also saying spend some of that fandom time on other fandom endeavors. So that's how I was able to say yes to the podcast and to the websites that I've built. Yes to MTH again. Um, yes to everything else that I try to do as a contributor to fandom, moderating, making spreadsheets, that kind of thing, helping and supporting people. I want there to be space for that. And if I'm constantly pushing for this goal, that's this concrete number that I can push for, it means it's easier to let the other things that are kind of longer term projects fall away. So when I say write less, that's, that's kind of what I mean. And so this year's goal maybe isn't to write less in 2021 than in 2020, but to keep embodying this idea of choosing my fandom time and not letting the numbers, the number of words become my only driving force. (laughs) Number two is read more. 
And specifically why I have read more on the list is to remember that when I get too locked into my writing, I don't necessarily read very much, or if I get too busy, I don't read very much. And I am much more likely to burn out on my writing if I haven't been reading. You have to feed the beast. You need to keep restocking that creative juice. It is absolutely vital for all creatives that they consume as well as produce. And if you're not consuming, you're not going to produce. So even if you're only true, goal, if that intention is to produce more, one of your smart goals that builds towards that intention, while it may seem slightly counterintuitive, may be to also read more because Reading improves your language abilities. It teaches you words you didn't know. It helps you find different ways to express things. It gets your thoughts turning. Even if you read something you don't like, fixing it in your head, mulling over why you don't like it, digging into the themes. These are all things that are going to make you a better, stronger, faster, harder writer. So, um, Absolutely. And that's why I have the, the uh, that's why I use the book Riot Spreadsheet because that's a huge part of my writing life is my reading life. I see them as entirely connected. So I endorse that whole rant. Good <laughs> My third goal is find balance. And this is specifically a balance between fandom and not fandom. So whereas Write Less also incorporates some questions of balance that was more take your fandom time and make sure that your fandom contributions are balanced. But find balance for me is saying, okay, you've got more than just fandom that occupies your spare time. Make time for friends, make time for family, all the other hobbies that I love to do. I'm a knitter, I'm a crocheter, I do construction paper art, I wanna get better at drawing, I play video games, like these are things I wanna do as well. And when you have number goals, like the word camp goals, I was saying before, it's easy to kind of get locked into like every evening, I'm just striving for the goal, gotta get to the goal. And sometimes other things fall to the wayside. So I don't want to spend a lot of time mindlessly scrolling on Tumblr. I don't want to spend a lot of time sitting on Discord waiting for something to happen when I'm not interested in the conversation. Uh, I want to be able to also step away from fandom, away from my jobs, and do something else. Watch a movie, knit something, all of those things. That's number three. <laughs> number four <laughs> says... Finish at least one of my long-term whips. <laughs> and I have two. One's called Brooklyn and one's called Do Not Reply. They are each at about 20K and they are each probably going to be about 50K total. I've written 50K before. I have several stories that are over 50K. Quite a you few actually. A probably few, more actually, than 10. Yeah. I yeah. have one that's 100K. I have two that are 100K. <laughs> so um, why is it that I started these fix in like 2017 and they haven't happened? I do not know, but I have been putting both of them on my list for years to make them happen. I think part of it is that because no one's, you know, I sort of ran out of steam on them and then no one was reading them because they're not posted anywhere and I haven't tried getting a cheerleader or anything, which is probably the actual next step I should do. And like, they're not for charity auction. Like there's so many things that just keep bumping them down the list that they don't happen. But I also keep stepping into the whips and rereading parts of them and just being like, oh, yeah, that's good. I'd love to finish that. And like nothing. <laughs> so something's got to give. I need to I need to do something differently in 2021 if I'm going to accomplish that goal. So instead of setting it sort of 
just on repeat, I think I need to really sit down and think about if that's going to be a goal for 2021. I also need to make part of the goal how I am going to accomplish that that is different from how I attempted to accomplish it for the last four years that didn't work. I mean, luckily for you, there's a few of us that would be happy to cheer read if that is the direction you'd like to go. Yeah, I think I'm at least going to have to try that. So, uh, so yeah, I'll be, I'll be shopping for someone interested in those two bad boys. Um, and number five is keep ignoring the shit. <laughs> um, I'm someone with a very, very strong belief that you should never bite bait. And um, people sometimes try to dangle it at me. Uh, my policy is always to ignore it, delete it, block the people involved and move on. Sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes you have to type a whole rant in response and then delete it. Um, in my experience, the stress of responding and then getting into it publicly or having somebody send you more shit or you know anything like that, having these frustrating conversations, for me, that's always more stressful than having to hold back and not say the thing that I want to say. So my choice is always to just ignore it. Um, like I said, sometimes that's hard. Um, 2020 was really hard on people. And some of those people took that out on other people. Yeah. Sometimes that people was me. Sometimes that people was people I care about. And I think it's been hard for everybody to hold their tongue or, you know, scream into a pillow or tell the shower your feelings instead of turning to someone else and throwing that shit at them instead. I know it's hard. And I know sometimes seeing other people behave in ways that you think is, you know, inappropriate or rude or mean, it can be hard to hold your tongue, but, and sometimes you're speaking up to protect other people. And I'm totally on board with that. But if someone comes into your inbox, sometimes the best thing you can do is just delete it and pretend it never happened. Especially on Tumblr, you get in a non-ask and that person's sitting at home waiting, refreshing your page over and over to try and see if you're going to take the bait. You just keep swimming. And I always make sure to reblog some stuff when I delete something so people know I'm on Tumblr. <laughs> um, <laughs> that can feel pretty good too. So... I guess my message for everybody listening is you don't have to answer. You don't owe anybody a response. You can delete it. If they choose to unfollow you or move on or not read your fix or whatever, then that's a them problem. Totally fine. But just because someone tries to bring drama into your space, even sometimes replying and saying, I don't want this drama can be enough to bring it more of it into your space. So I'm giving you permission to just ignore it. Um, and I hope that I can continue to do that in 2021. So those are my five annual resolutions that I think are still appropriate. You know, I think we both have the goal of season two of the podcast while well, finishing up season one and then charging into season two. Um, we are going to turn over the season at our anniversary ish. Um, so that's a couple months away. Um, so we're still in season one, but we have ideas for season two. Um, I have some goals about improving my efficiency with editing. Maybe we can even record ahead a little bit. <laughs> that is a crazy idea. I know, right? But wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> wouldn't it be nice? Delightful pipe dream. Well, we were, we started off so strong. Yeah. Well, that's how, that's life. Life happened, man. Yeah. 2020 happened. We'll see. Maybe 2020, you know, we're doing fine. We can continue on as we are. Maybe we'll get ahead a little bit if we do. 
that that's a stretch goal. Um, and I don't know. I think I think last I'm I'm pondering the idea of maybe being more forgiving, <laughs> but I'm not committed to it yet because I'm not I, you laughing know. at you. I'm laughing at the idea of the word ponder. But sorry, that was a rude. <laughs> no no that was that was an expected response um yeah I'm not sure if people deserve it yet because (laughs) I'm a jerk but uh you know maybe I'm a grudge holder I know I am and I'm married to someone who's not he burns hot and then lets it all go I burn less hot but I burn for a long time and I generally if I've moved on from somebody because I'm also not someone who finds people like people in the vast majority sense of the word to be vitally important to me. Like I choose very specific people who are vitally important to me. Um, But it doesn't bother me so much if I know there are people out in the world that don't like me. And uh, I don't like a lot of people, (laughs) but maybe 2021 will be the year that Ferret finds forgiveness. (laughs) What an epic journey that will be. You can all come on it with me. Okay, Flame, what's your 2021 looking like? Gracious. So my, like, in terms of my intentions for the year, my 2021 is going to look exceptionally different than I thought it was going to. Um, And so I need to be incredibly willing to write everything in my life in pencil instead of in pen. And that includes my life. The commitments that I make to people, which to me, part of that commitment is the covenant I make with my readers when I post that, like when I post things and I will still post things. And when I talk about things on discord that I'm writing, that I am actually writing them needs to be like, just like you held in balance with the other pieces of fandom. Um, I don't, I don't know what my word count goal for next year is going to be. This last year, like I said, it was it was over five hundred thousand. This year, it'll be around four fifty, I think, and I can imagine next year being three, um, at, because I will need. I already know in myself, I will need easy wins next year, and I will need that concrete. I I made it. I did it, and, I, and then I exceeded my own expectations for myself. I'm aware I'm going to need that next year, so I think a lot of my goals are going to be modest because I'm going to need to have them be a lot shorter term than I I had the luxury of doing last year. In terms of fandom specifically, I've got some things like, I mean, we talked about this in our events episode. Last year, I did every kind of event possible. And every event I found I did because I was new to fandom and I was trying to make friends and, and all that kind of other stuff. I have learned that bangs do not work for me. They're not good for my mental health. It's not enjoyable for me. So one of my resolutions is no matter how tempting it is not to do any more bangs. And it just, like I said, it just doesn't work. Um, I have some fun ideas for MTH that I'd like to run by the other mods that I've got some goals to talk about there. Um, My biggest thing with my writing is that I have currently have three over 20k fix that I have promised to people for charity reasons. And I will not commit to another one until all three of those are at least outlined. (laughs) Now I say that because once I get something outlined, it flows pretty quickly. 
because I spend a lot of time thinking about the outline before I ever write it down. Um, and my average, like once I get the outline down, it takes me about two months to write a really long thick. Uh, two months to write about 50 to 60K at a maximum. So I also lose interest with things about 65K. Like I don't, I wrote 135,000 words once. I don't think I'll ever do that again. Just watch the Celestial Navigation remix is going to be 700,000 words or something nuts because I'll just get a bear in my bonnet. Um, but I will not start or commit to something else until those are at least outlined. That, I have to stick to that or that is going to cause me a lot more consternation because the other thing is I'm writing an actual publishable book this year as part of other commitments to things. <laughs> Me. Uh, but it's life and that has to happen. And as much as I find so much relief and so much release and so much stress rele release in writing these ding-dongs, um, if there are days that I only have a thousand words in me, there are days that that is going to have to go to the, my professional projects. Mm -hmm. And that was not the case last year. And so I, I need to be in that. I want to be continually present for people in fandom, I think this year I did a, a really good job of balancing the writing versus the being around. The But just like you, I need to remember that fandom is not my only hobby. I tend to feel really guilty when I am playing a video game or reading a book or something that isn't fandom because somebody inevitably will be in my DMs or something being like, so what are you writing right now? And I'm like, I'm playing Animal Crossing right now. Uh, and I need to be less available all the time and be aware that that's okay. And that's an, that's an intention in my whole life, not just fandom. I do not have the ability to not care what people think about me. And that's something I am constantly working on uh, and, and not a skill I have attained yet. And so that's a perpetual, I think I've had that intention every year since I was 13. <laughs> to care less and care more deeply about the people who know me rather than the people who think they know me or who decide they know me and what that kind of looks like. What I typed out is that I want to say yes to less so that I can be deeper in the things that I say yes to. Um, and that's, that's just going to be truth. I have so Enjoy is a really cheap word for how I feel about my fandom life this year. The surprises were insane. I mean, obviously like we joke about the podcast and we, that it was a whirlwind and we just kind of started it and all this kind of other things. But for me, it was one of the tethers to my life this year. And it was such a gift. Um, but also so was the watching the Stoconi summer stockings and seeing people really love this ship that I love and create more things for it. I loved uh, so many good fix I read this year in so many different ships, uh, incredible conversations I got into on Discord, people I met through on Tumblr randomly that started following me and asking me questions and I got a really great conversations. I loved so much of this year. Uh, but next year I'm going to probably get back on planes. <laughs> Here's hoping anyway. Fingers crossed. Um, and it's going to be it's just going to be different. So yeah, my overall resolution for my entire life next year is that everything is written in pencil and I need to be okay with that. Uh, and we'll see where it goes. I have tons of dreams. I'm somebody who will work towards the goals. Even if they're written in pencil, I'll often treat them like they're in pen. 
um i definitely we both have i think really fun ideas for season two uh we keep kicking around a collab too at some point which would be fun to write together um i actually technically have to start writing one with ashy because we i owe her one so <laughs> Uh, I, the more I want to be, I want to lean into the community side of fandom. Um, and that does mean writing for me, writing things that I know will bring people joy um, and stretching myself a little bit, but not nearly as much as I did uh, last year. And just attempting the best I can to be a positive place for people in their lives, whether that's my writing or this podcast or conversations that I have with them. I want them to be better. I want their day to be better once they've left talking to me. And that's not always achievable, um, but it's a, it's a goal. It's a, it's a perpetual goal. I want your life to be better because we know, because you know me, that's however lovely. I can make that happen. So what are your guys' goals? Be specific or broad. You can tell us your intentions or your specific goals. We'd love it if you would comment on this episode or hit us up on any of our social medias. We did ask some stuff that were, some questions in our server and, and on Twitter and Tumblr. And we're going to get to that in community talks. Uh, but that was mostly about um, our last segment. Whereas we also want to know about your personal goals, your personal fandom goals, maybe also some of your life goals, if you're willing to share. And uh, we'll dive into those responses in our next episode, which will be in the new year. Crazy. Crazy we thoughts. We'd prefer that you don't vote on whether you think either of us will be able to reach our goals. But if you got something on the side, some like black market uh, betting ring, and then, you know, we're not going to seek you out to shut you down if, if you must. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you right now, there's definitely things we both just said that are not going to happen. <laughs> Setting love- intentions is part of healthy mindset, whether you reach them or not. Whether you reach them or not, God love us. We are going to do our best. Today in Community Talks, we are going to start with a fandom feeling that we got sent um, after our last episode, which was our holiday episode. Um, so fandom feelings, just to remind anyone who doesn't know, is our little anonymous Dropbox. You can go on our website and send us a message that way. This person said, the holiday episode is officially my favorite due to the mention of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is totally a Christmas movie. I feel like, Flame, you were torn on whether it was a Christmas movie or not. It was it like was, an honorable mention. You know, I got an honorable mention. And this is a personal decision. I don't count Christmas movies if they just contain the holiday of Christmas. Right. I got that impression. Yeah. And so, but I am very picky about this. At least four people broke up with me over the last two weeks because I don't count Die Hard. Yeah. I understand this. Everyone is entitled to their own incorrect opinion. It's how it works. I have to be, I have to be gracious about this. Um, but I do love Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and I don't quite understand why it's not, especially for those of us who are RDJ stands, like why it's not one of the ones people talk about more because it is the most peak his energy of, yeah. of like any movie I've seen, even most of the Iron Man ones. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't remember that it, like I saw it within the last year, I think, and I didn't remember that it happened at Christmas. That's fair. I don't think it's a major plot point. Like it's not the major thing that I remember, but what I remember the most is just his chemistry with Val Kilmer. Yeah. It's pretty great. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty great chemistry. Plus it gives us a, a gif of RDJ kissing a tall blonde man. So 
you know, for the Steve Tonys in the fandom, that's a, it's a boon all on its own. It's helpful. And then those people who really like to see him a little bit beat up so many screenshots. Yes. Uh, for that one. And also looking confused because his character spends most of that movie confused. He does. And it's God funny God. and it's fun. Yeah. I'd recommend that movie too. Yeah. Highly. So no, I'm glad to all kidding aside, legitimately, whatever movie means Christmas for you is what movie means Christmas or Hanukkah or winter for you is completely valid. And I'm just being silly and ridiculous. Um, there were people that got really annoyed that I didn't talk more about Home Alone or Christmas Story. If those are your movies and those are your movies, that's amazing. Um, it's just that these were my standards. And I will say that since I last talked, I watched two more TV holiday movies that I truly, truly loved and didn't get a chance to talk about the pod. So the more we create fun, festive movies that give me warm, like hygge holiday feels, then I'll talk about them. And my rankings may change. I don't think anything will truly ever unseat Muppets Christmas Carol as my truest love, but who knows? The world is wide. We'll have to check in again next year. Yeah, I will I will keep you all posted. I know for some people that their Christmas movie is Lord the entire Lord of the Rings thing because the holidays is the only time they have time to watch the whole thing. Oh, for sure. I know people feel that way about Harry Potter because in America, one of the movie channels, one of the TV channels that it used to be called ABC Family, now it's called Freeform, um, shows the entire canon every Christmas and massive marathons. And so people always think about Harry Potter as Christmas movies. That's amazing. It's as much about traditions as anything else. (laughs) But today we're talking about goals and planning. So we hit up our Twitter and we asked you guys about what sorts of things you track and y'all had some opinions. So we asked the, the phrasing of the question was, do you keep track of words that you write slash read for goal setting or other purposes? Vote below and then tell us why, if you please. So the options were yes, both, no, both, yes, writing, and yes, reading. The breakout winner was yes, writing, which implies that those people only track writing, but not reading. And that was 41%. So pushing close to half of people track their But then not super far behind at 31% was that they don't track anything. Yeah. If we combine yes, both and yes, writing. So these, in fact, if we combine everybody who tracks something, that's a vast majority. Yeah. Almost 70%, a little over 70%. Sorry, a little under 70%. <laughs> um, so most people track something. Of the people who track, most people track writing. Next up were people who tracked both. And then lastly, we only had 8% that said they tracked reading, but not writing. Which was what I would have voted before I got back into fandom. So I get that completely. What I found really interesting too is we had a couple responses, the people who typed out their explanations. And most of those people who track things we did have one person our fellow mth mod nostalgic at sea who said she tracks nothing because <laughs> writing is already hard enough for her and she doesn't want it to feel more like homework which i completely get really fair and then other people um some fandom friends are some future guests of the show some cover artists that we've had in the past all responded and my, one of my favorites was from Andy chic who wrote our first 
uh, plug fic back in episode one and for whom her willingness to let us do that with this random <laughs> new podcast. She says, writing goals really help keep me on track. If I didn't set daily, weekly, monthly word goals or deadlines, I wouldn't be able to write consistently. The sprinting bots on Discord help immensely with that, which again, we talked about in our strategy conversation about the importance of, of 20 minutes and a lot of sprints are 15 or 20 and, and those kind of work well. It was interesting that several people said that they keep track in the sense of they keep track within a particular fic, like they want to keep chapters to a certain length or they want to keep the fic to a certain length or they just want to know how the fic is going and at what rate kind of, but only for that fic and they don't keep track of like their their weekly total across fix or their annual total across fix. And that seemed like a fairly um, common approach. I also really liked, um, I liked the response from Danny who said, I mostly keep track because I get curious after I hit a bit of inspiration and want to know what I was able to accomplish. And I like the relationship of tracking with accomplishment because I feel like, because this is fun and we are doing this for fun that the result of tracking should be a sense of accomplishment. For sure. And a couple of people as well, which I, I found interesting, Jay and then Jer and uh, Marvel Wizard Mom, who Jer and Wizard Mom, I know are both in Iron Strange fandom. They implied heavily that the tracking of writing was also part of their relationship to their readers. Like I want a chapter length go outside of these boundaries. I, you know, th that kind of stuff. And to me, that is a communication of, I want to be careful that I'm not giving much people too much to chew on, or I want to make this commitment that when somebody sees a new chapter to me, chapter from me, this is the word count they can expect. Uh, and maybe I'm completely getting into that, but that's, that's what it communicated to me. And I find that fascinating as well. Yeah, it's an interesting topic. I, I will say that it's, um, there are, there's a suite of very common, we could say frequently asked questions um, <laughs> that people who are new to fandom or new to Discord or maybe new to creating for fandom tend to ask when they join the Discord server and suddenly have access to hundreds or even thousands of people who they can get instant opinions from. And um, I could list them all out, maybe someday I will, but uh, one of them is definitely how long should a chapter be? And yes. this question gets asked on every platform. I've been asked it on Tumblr. I've seen asked on Discord countless times. And it always leads to an interesting conversation because the truth of the matter is it should be as long as you want it to be. <laughs> yeah. And there is no actual solid answer to that question, um, particularly with fanfic. There, you know, there are some guidelines and structures that if you're writing for certain publishable markets, you might need to follow. But for fanfic, the answer is generally that it matters more that your chapter has a beginning, a middle and an end than that it's a certain length. But there are lots of people who have opinions about lengths. They have a favorite length they like to read. They have a favorite length they like to write. Though I will say the number of people who have a favorite length they like to write vastly outweighs the number of people who care how long a chapter is when they're reading. It's yes. definitely something that writers kind of internalize for themselves, but very few people even think about when they're reading. Um, but, yeah, I think the whole question of how long something should be and, you know, should it be a one shot or should it be multiple chapters is uh, is something that we could even talk about more down the line. Yeah, first of all, that topic, but I was also thinking like we should definitely do the the FAQs of fandom and, and as yeah. topic considerations, that would be fascinating because you're right. I've only been around for a little, you know, under two years and I've seen the same 15 questions a whole heck of a lot. Yeah. But on the issue of the internalizing the standards, 
it's all the question though is always posed as what do people want to read the most mm-hmm. and then all of us a lot of us who are writers turn it on like well we have really no idea but this is how we write yeah yeah <laughs> so it's possible that people have really strong opinions about what they read it's possible but the language I see across a lot of platforms in in my experience is that we decide we've decided as creators that people have these kind of standards um and we want to honor that and be and be kind of some of that I then connects to this deal well are if I'm not getting kudos because my chapters are too long or too short um and it's kind of that whole circle jerk of the I create because I want to create, but this is a comedian, therefore I, I responses. How do I create four responses, but for myself? So this tips into the bigger conversation that we all constantly have about being a creator in a communal hobby. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's, um, it seems to be like a fairly spread out. Like it, 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 there was definitely a majority for people who track their writing, but I wouldn't say it was necessarily a majority of writers, you know, like we had about a hundred results in the poll, but obviously that doesn't even touch how many writers there are even in Steve Tony, let alone in Marvel fandom. So, um, you know, perhaps there are people who maybe the kind of person who listens to the pod is the kind of person who keeps track of stuff because they like engaging with fandom in that like analysis-y kind of way. Whereas people who uh, don't track things might also be the kinds of people who are less interested in listening to a podcast. <laughs> yeah, so, it's also possible that they're just not on Twitter because Twitter is a whole lot of very, <laughs> Twitter is a cesspool, as we know. We just didn't have another way to ask this question. So yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting topic. I, I've been tracking my words for a long time. And for me, as I said already, the the numbers are about a sense of accomplishment. It's about liking to be able to look back and add everything up and be like, wow, I've written, you know, like 2.5 million words or whatever. And feeling like beyond the positive feelings I've had being part of the community and comments and kudos and collabs and all that fun stuff. It's also nice to be able to set that aside. Again, this comes back to that idea of a goal that is attainable. Word count is something I have complete control over. So it's something where that accomplishment is mine alone. There was no luck involved. There was no um, hitting the right tropes or having the right moment or getting shared by the right person. When you look at your accomplishment in the sense of this is how many pieces I've finished or how many words I've written, then that is something that is yours alone. And uh, yeah, there's a certain, there's a certain separate kind of personal sense of achievement that can attach to that. Yeah, I really love doing it because it it relates in my head to how long I've how many fanfics I've written that are longer than my PhD. <laughs> so and I know that sounds crazy, but like when I was first writing back, getting back into creative writing and writing fic, and I explained to my mom the stories that I was writing, and I told her I was like, well, my PhD was total when I turned everything in with even like my bibliography and everything else was ninety three thousand words. And it was, well, 93,000, like 474 or something like that. And it turned out to be like around 280 pages with charts and graphs and some other stuff I did. So the first fic I wrote being 135,000 words, I like looked at my mother. I said, I now have written a story longer than my doctorate. Mm -hmm. 
And so now when she and I are talking about how things are going and, and soulmate and I have the same kind of words, it'll be like, well, how much, how many PhDs did you write this month? <laughs> um, and it's kind of fun to think like that, that works for me because that was to this date, the hardest thing I've ever done uh, in a whole host of reasons. That book was the hardest book I've ever written. The thing I fought the hardest for in my life. And it took me four and a half years to write it. And I am not always proud of it. I don't think my writing was particularly strong in it. I'm proud of the accomplishment, but I'm not, it didn't bring me joy to write it as it were. And then I look at this thing and I'm like, okay, so I've written nine PhDs over the last year. <laughs> and almost all of that brought me joy. There you go. And that's fantastic. Uh, and it feels this very kind of uh, cathartic and emotional fuck you to everybody who was terrible to me about my PhD. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's for, so for it's very similar to what you're saying, but for me, it's like a little bit even more personal about reclaiming that thing I thought I was bad at at one point. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I'm so glad that I found that I was on discord on the same day at the beginning of this year when you shared that tracking sheet. Um, and I was able to now, and I've learned that I am not using it correctly. So <laughs> I will bug you to help me learn to use it correctly once we get the new one. But even the, the you know, Diet Coke version of the one I've been using has been really helpful for my mental health this year. That's awesome. Yeah. So as always, you can still keep sending us your responses, uh, your notes, your thoughts, your fandom feelings, and we'll talk about them in our next episode. But big thanks to everybody who voted in the poll and who had conversations with us on our social media this time around. And next up, we are going to hear from the Grammar Mustelid. <laughs> All right. It's time for one of my most requested grammar corners ever. This is apostrophes. First off, don't panic. If apostrophes confuse you, you are really not alone. Think of them as grammatical homophones. There are some structures that may look or sound the same, but for different reasons, which makes it hard to learn the rules of apostrophes just from reading or just from hearing the language out loud. So you can figure, forgive yourself for being confused, but it's actually not that complicated. The most common problem is actually using apostrophes too much. So hopefully I can give you the cases where you use them and then we can start leaving them off when they're not needed. There are only two cases where you use an apostrophe. And I will also make a quick note here that the single quote looks like an apostrophe, but it's an entirely different diacritic. So today we're just talking about the apostrophe, which is part of a word, it's embedded in the word. And on another day, perhaps we'll talk about quotes and single quotes. So there are only two cases where you use an apostrophe. That's contractions and emissions and possessives. Then there are a lot of cases where you might feel the urge to use an apostrophe, but you don't need to. So first up, we have contractions and emissions. You use an apostrophe to indicate letters or sounds that are missing or have been removed. Contractions are two words that have had letters or sounds removed and then were smushed together. Words like don't, can't, won't, shouldn't, would've, and let's. All of these can be split back into the separate words. Do not, cannot, will not, should not, would have, and let us. Some of them we're used to seeing either way, like I am or I'm, but some are pretty much only ever used as contractions these days. So you might not even think of them as contractions, like o'clock, which is short for of the clock, 
or let's, which is short for let us. We also sometimes use apostrophes to indicate sounds that are dropped in speech, like when we're writing an accent phonetically. We might write singing as S-I-N-G-I-N -I -I apostrophe, with the last G dropped and the apostrophe on the end to indicate someone who says singin' instead of singing. In both these cases, the apostrophe tells us that something has been removed, whether it's to describe how something sounds or to form a contraction. Most of the time with contractions, it only affects the way that the word is written down. So if you're used to hearing English out loud, you might not be aware that some of these words like don't, can't, and won't have an apostrophe in them. So reading a lot will help you figure out when a word is a contraction. The second use is possessives. Possessives are constructions that indicate that something belongs to something else. The morpheme or the little piece of language that we use in English that indicates possessiveness is apostrophe s. So we take a noun and we add apostrophe s onto the end to form a possessive. Ferrets fix. The front door's lock. That book's cover. The cover belongs to the book. So we take book, we add apostrophe s, and that makes it possessive. It gives it claim over the thing that comes after. And if you remember our lesson earlier, that book's cover is a singular noun phrase. So you can use that as a subject in a sentence or an object. The morpheme that indicates plurals is just S. Out loud, many possessives and plurals are homophones. This can cause a lot of confusion. Ferrets fix, three ferrets. The word ferrets sounds the same in both of these cases, but the first one is written with an apostrophe and the second isn't. A common grammatical mistake is called the grocer's apostrophe because it's so common for green grocer's signs to have plurals with unnecessary apostrophes in them, like apples on sale with an apostrophe in apples. The only time when you might use an apostrophe to form a plural is the very rare case of pluralizing an initialization or acronym or the plural of a single letter. So something like that word has two U's in it. We put U apostrophe S. This was born out of a need to prevent confusion. Without the apostrophe, we'd think it was the word us. So it doesn't actually fully make sense grammatically, but we've adopted that as a way to distinguish between the two things. So if you don't really need an apostrophe, don't use it. There are more cases where you do not use apostrophes than use them. You might have the inclination to pluralize names, especially ones that end in S like James by adding apostrophe S, but this is not correct. You're not forming a plural there, you're forming a possessive. So if you wanna talk about the two James in the room, for example, if Rhody and Bucky are both in the same place, you would say two James or two Jameses. T-W-O-J-A-M-E-S or two J-A-M-E-S-E-S. -E -S. So just ask yourself, does my noun that I have the apostrophe S on, does it own something else? Is this a relationship of belonging or is there simply more than one of them? Because we are so used to writing names, especially with an apostrophe S on the end, since it's very rare to talk about having more than one of a person, our instinct is to hit that apostrophe. But if you're going back and you're editing a work, Maybe you're writing some amazing multiverse romp with two Tonys and two Steves. Make sure that you keep in mind which ones are possessives and which ones are plurals. Yet another common point of confusion is possessive pronouns. 
In English, we have a group of pronouns that are used to indicate possession. Hers, his, mine, ours, theirs, its, and yours. There are no apostrophes in possessive pronouns, even though they indicate possession. These words come wholesale with their possessiveness already attached, much like Steve and Tony to each other. So you don't need to add the apostrophe S morpheme to create possessiveness. We do not write H-E-R apostrophe S, we simply write H-E-R-S. This can cause problems because sometimes we end up with homophones that crisscross over these boundaries of apostrophe usage. For example, the word it's, one of the most commonly misspelled words. There are two words that sound like it's. One is the possessive pronoun that indicates something belongs to it, so the fridge's handle, its handle. Since this is a possessive pronoun, it does not have an apostrophe. But the other word it's is a contraction it's a squishing up of the words it and is. So we wouldn't say it is handle, but we would say it is cold outside or it's cold outside. In that case, you do have an apostrophe. Similarly, with your and your, another very common mistake, we have your, Y-O-U-R, the possessive pronoun used in cases like your car, your fic, your favorite child. <laughs> And your, Y-O-U apostrophe R-E, which is a contraction that is short for you are. Luckily, there is a really, really easy way to test for whether you have a possessive pronoun or a contraction. Simply say the expanded version of the contraction out loud and see if it works. If it doesn't, you should use the form without the apostrophe. If it does, use the apostrophe. So if we have your dinner, and we don't know which one to use, just say, you are dinner. Does that sound right? Probably not, unless cannibalism is going on or someone's talking to their sandwich. So in that case, we would use the possessive pronoun, which does not have an apostrophe. What about you're pretty? If we, if we expand that out, we get you are pretty. And that definitely sounds right. So we are going to use the contraction for you're pretty Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. It's nice out is short for it is nice out. It's too late for loud music. It is too late for loud music. Don't pull its tail. We wouldn't say don't pull it is tail. That clearly doesn't work. So that's the possessive pronoun, it's. And I could do lot, lots more examples. And if anyone wants me to run examples in type, in the server, just hit me up anytime and I'm happy to go over the difference between these two constructions. So what about combining plurals and possessives? And what about possessives for words ending in S? If you have a singular word or name ending in S, like James, you have the choice of either adding just an apostrophe or an apostrophe S. If you're working under a certain style guide, you'll want to check what it says. This is important if you're writing for work or school. You also want to make vitally sure that whatever you're doing, you're being consistent. So if this is creative writing for you, for your fanfic, pick one, but stick with it. There are also two ways to pronounce this construction, James or James's. Yes, it's the same as the plurals. <laughs> and most people who pronounce the first way would choose just the apostrophe, J-A-M-E-S apostrophe pronounced James, James metal arm. Or if they pronounce it the second way, James's, they would write the apostrophe S, J-A-M-E-S apostrophe S, James's metal arm. How do we form possessives from plurals? Just the apostrophe. 
The cat's milk, C-A-T apostrophe S, is a singular possessive. One cat owns the milk. The cat's milk, C-A-T-S apostrophe, is a plural possessive. There is more than one cat and they all own the milk. Think of it as dropping the last S, not as putting the apostrophe in a different place. Things get more complicated and harder to follow when we talk about compound or joint possessives, things that are owned by more than one entity that are different. So instead of multiple cats, we have two different things that own the same thing. Flame and Ferret's podcast means the single podcast of both Ferret and Flame. Flames and Ferret's podcasts means there are two podcasts, at least, one for each of Flame and Ferret. A confusion I see a lot is how to share ownership between you, the speaker, and someone else. Flame and Ferret's podcast is easy enough, but when I'm talking in first person, I should say Flames and my podcast. With Flame having its own possessive construction, Flames with the apostrophe S, and my is the possessive personal pronoun, which is in adjectival form here. Please note that I's, I apostrophe S, is not a possessive construction in English, ever. It is never Flame and I's podcast, or Ashy and I's fic, or I's and Ashy's fic. No. I is a pronoun. It has it, its own possessive forms, so please don't use I's. The only case ever that you would write I apostrophe S is if you were pluralizing the letter I, which is fairly rare. But if you wanted to write something like we were talking about earlier, there are four I's in this word, then you, you might use I apostrophe S. But a capital I as a pronoun should never be possessivized by adding apostrophe S. It is common grammatical courtesy that in subject position, the other person or people come first and you last. So it's flames and my podcast, not my and flames podcast or me and flames podcast. This is hard. It's okay if it's confusing. And in colloquial spoken English, often these rules are thrown out. If you get stuck with these constructions, you can Google joint possession grammar or compound possession grammar to find help and more examples. So to sum everything up, there are two cases when we use an apostrophe, contractions and omissions, and possessive nouns. There are two cases where we might feel the urge to use an apostrophe, but we shouldn't. Plurals and possessive pronouns, especially the homophonic ones. As always, the script from this segment will be in the show notes so you can see the examples live. If there's anything else you want to hear on Grammar Must a Lid, let me know and I'll add it to the list. Thanks for listening and happy apostrophe. with your events forecast. Today, I'll be sharing some information about what's going on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you. Here's the usual note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find everything I mention in this forecast, linked and explained, in the show notes for each episode over on podonthesuit.com. Now, on to the fun stuff. Round four of the Marvel Fluff Bingo is open for signups until March 16th. Go grab a card to write all the fluffy themes. And here's a reminder that the Marvel Holiday Fest, a prompt fest based on holiday movie plots that's open to all ships and is without minimum requirements, 
is still open for fills until January 31st. The signups for Go Bang Yourself Bang also remain open until December 31st. So if you're feeling brave, go for it and create art or fic for an existing fic or art piece of yours. The Marvelous Aces Holiday Bingo Card is open for fills of any kind, featuring A-spec characters as well. Time to play around with all the classic tropes. It's the last stretch of time in which to fill some Cap IM Holiday Community prompts. Fills are accepted until December 27th. 500 plus prompts in a variety of universes. So go, have fun! The COM also announced its annual set of Remix events. You can still sign up for the Remix Exchange and the Remix Relay until tomorrow, December 21st. Works will be due by February 7th for the Exchange, which is a nice amount of time. Remix Madness, a Remix Fest, will also go on between January 10th and February 20th. Madness has no minimum requirements and is open to all types of fanworks. If you have questions on how remixing works, have a look at the detailed post on the Cap Iron Man community. Another reminder that you can get a customized STB Steve Tony Bucky bingo card until January 31st. After that date, you'll still be able to request a generic card from February 1st to May 31st. All combinations of Steve, Bucky, and Tony are allowed, so you get to play with no less than four ships in any medium you want and without any requirements whatsoever other than responsible tagging. Have fun, and please join the server if you feel like chatting. There's another week to create some fills for a very Darcy Advent bingo if you ship Steve Darcy or Tony Darcy or a poly variation of these three. Don't miss out. This has been your events forecast, friends. We hope to see you again next time. Until then, please be safe and as always, happy shipping. episode 20. Next time we talk, it'll be 2021, and I'm sure we're all hoping for a better year, whether you're making specific goals or just have your fingers crossed in general. Everyone light all the positivity candles, do all of your ritual dances that you need to do, do everything you need. We need as much positive energy in the universe that I think we can all take right now. Massive thanks to Nana for our gorgeous cover art, to Holly for chatting with me, on writing groups and to the podcast staff as always for everything they do. We got that incredible art from Nana, by the way, because they sent it to us through the cover artist application. If you have, or you want to create art to be featured, please, please, please do the same. And finally, thank you for listening. Don't forget to review us on your favorite pod platform so more fandom friends can find us. Thanks for a great 2020 in all the ways that we could make it that. And we'll see you next year for episode 21. Happy New Year! You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us. 